0: How's everyone doing? Well, those three people over there, congratulations. Can you just share the love over there for the other people? We have been in a series on relationships, and it's been so good. Jonathan's message last week on the paraclete and just all coming together was just phenomenal. And it really has been this series of understanding that we're in community together, that we lift each other up together. We can't do it from a distance. You need to get in close. And it's like iron sharpens iron, you know? And uh, there are really good things that happen in community. And I think that there's actual community and actual relationships, and then somewhat we have the pseudo relationships. Uh, That would be social media. For those, you know, and, and sometimes we live in a, a celebrity culture where we may think we actually know that person. We've read their autobiography. We're close, right? I follow them on Twitter, and we're, we're tight. And then you meet them, you're like, no, you don't actually have any relationship, right? And I remember it was social media, I was a bit of a late adopter to social media, uh, Facebook and all that. And I used to call it the Devil's Portal. So that was kind of where I started, <laughs> Right. And then, you know, my wife got on it, and I'd come to church, I'd come to an event, and someone would be like, Hey, man, it looked like you guys had so much fun yesterday at the park and camping and stuff. And I'm like, what? What are you talking, were you there? I didn't quite grasp, you know, how social media, this is a few years ago, but... You know, and we're there. And, and then I think that through that, you know, you can actually feel like you're in relationship with someone because you follow them on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. I was at a networking event uh, several years ago, and I hadn't seen this guy in about a year or so. And he comes up, and he's like, oh, man, it has been so good to see you in, in this place, in this place, in this place. And, man, I just feel so close to you. And then mid-sentence, he's like, we actually haven't talked in a year, have we? I'm like, no, we have not. And I think there can be this feeling that you're close to someone and I call those pseudo relationships and when you're around those sometimes you can you know compare yourself to see what others have like you've been around someone that handles stress really well you're like in the storm I want to act like them or they have so much ridiculous joy that you're like I don't know how you operate in so much joy but I want some of that you know you're like I'm hungry for what I see in your life some of you like me about a year ago were looking at Murray's quaffed hair and and really wanted the quaffed hair look. And so if you were here I about a year ago I did grow out my hair. There was not much quaffing. It was like a bad surfer movie from the 80s that just kind of flopped and it just it didn't look right, right? That's a good comparison, but there are times that maybe that's not the best comparison. What if all of a sudden you look at someone and I'm like, they are so anointed. They're so gifted. They're so Good looking. They're so tall. I'm not tall. God can't use me on the basketball court. I can't preach like they do. They can't use me. And all of a sudden you have the negative side of comparison. And we don't want to walk in the negative side. We want to walk in the positive side. So it's earning to understand and who you're created to be and who they're created to be. I travel all over the country and world and I meet some really amazing people. Some that are known and some that are not known. And early on I would come back and I would literally from an amazing weekend with these people that Jesus is doing stuff, the Holy Spirit's healing people and I would come home and go, do I even know Jesus? (laughs) I mean, did you see the way that they did that? They love Jesus at a level that I can't love Jesus. Oh my gosh, I don't even know Jesus. Uh Right? Because I was comparing how the Lord is using me to how the Lord is using them. I remember distinctly Several years ago, we were in Dallas at our Catch the Fire Church in Dallas. And I, we were kicking off a weekend. There was about 400 people in the room. I was the person that spoke the very first session of the very first night. On my one side is Alan Smith, who had just came out of a 35,000-person church, one of something like 180 pastors on staff. Everything in Texas is bigger. There was a guy in Texas that liked it. Yeah, there, Texas over there, good. You, there's always one in the crowd. And on my other side is Duncan. The amazing anointed world leader with he and his wife leading Catch the Fire. They're on the one side. And here's little old trial attorney JT in the middle. Going, what am I doing here? I should be practicing law or business or something. I got this guy who led a, you know, was involved in a 35,000-person church. This guy who's leading a worldwide movement and trial attorney JT. And I'm the first speaker. And I'm like, i oh. And I'm, I'm struggling a bit, right? And all of a sudden, the Lord starts to speak to me. He's like, JT, I know a few people. I know your resume. I know your giftings. I know your callings. I know those things. I could have had anybody be the executive director of Catch the Fire USA, but I chose you. Why don't you step into that? It may not look like Duncan. It may not look like Alan, but I chose you to be a part of this ministry. Why don't you step into that in the calling and the destiny I called you to be and stop comparing yourself with someone else? And I went, oh, that's good. I can work with that. And the Holy Spirit in his grace and mercy showed up like a grenade had been dropped off in the presence. Like the half of the audience just crashed in. And it was just such a sweet remembrance and a reminder to me that, it, that I don't need to compare myself the way that Duncan or Murray or Heidi or Todd or whoever else that you're looking at. I don't need to do it like they do it. I need to do it like the Lord has called me to do it. To be a part of the kingdom in that respect. And see, the Lord has put unique gifting and talents in our lives. They're our passions, our desires, our talents, not someone else's. True, healthy, godly relationships aren't about ungodly comparison, but understanding that God has made us each unique and that we're a family together and that we each need to come together to really set the world on fire for Jesus. Amen? If you have your Bibles, we're going to look quickly at Romans 12, 3 through 8. Romans twelve three through eight. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one in body, in Christ, and individual members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let's use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, in service and in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We're all coming together with our skills and talents that are different because we can't operate independently. We need to come together. There are certain folks that have different gifting and talents and skills. And actually, if you study the word gift in the New Testament, there are several different lists, mostly authored by Paul, that talk about the gifts that that come with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians... There's actually eight different words. The two I want to talk about today. The first is the one of the fivefold. It's Ephesians 4:11: the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. In there, the word is "doma." That's "gift of Christ." That means you don't get to choose to be the office of prophet. It, Christ chooses you, right? It comes upon you. It is actually dealing with your identity. You can walk around and say, "I'm a prophet. I am an apostle." Unless someone else recognizes it in your life, you may operate apostolically, you may operate prophetically, but in terms of the office of prophet, the office of pastor, that's not how it works, right? And so many times I think we see the gift, the call on someone's life in an office and we compare ourselves with that. Right? We compare ourselves with their God given gift, their identity in Christ Jesus, all of a sudden. And this is what happened while I was traveling around. I would get around someone, right, that had that, and I'm like, I am not like them at all. I can't operate like them at all. The Lord can't use me. Right? I remember uh, I was in, in, in uh, Canada a few years back, and it was this big gathering of pastors. And it was supposed to be a week to encourage and comfort and just light on fire all the pastors. I, about halfway through the week, went back to my hotel room. I was just so bummed because I'm around all these pastors, and, and, you know, there's a little sliver of truth that the enemy likes to work with, right? You're not like them, which is true. I'm not like them. None of us are like each other, right? But in that sliver of truth, he twisted, you don't love Jesus like they love Jesus. Why are you in the ministry? Why don't you go back to the work? Why don't you go back to, to the marketplace? Why don't you, You're right. I suck, I, you know, I, just, I can't love people like them, I don't, you know, and all of a sudden I was comparing myself with the God-ordained office of, they were operating primarily out of that pastoral gift, I am an ordained pastor, I can be pastoral, but that's not my main primary function, and when I got around other people like that and started to compare myself to them, it actually spiraled me down, and all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, and it took a spiritual father of mine to kind of speak into my life and say, you know what, When I get around a group of pastors and I'm in the ministry, I don't really like it either. You get me around a group of prophets, you get me around a group of apostles or something else that I'm primarily operating in, that stirs my spirit, right? So it's understanding where you are, who you are, whoa, and we don't want to compare ourselves with someone else's Doma gift, right? Todd White comes and you're like, I can never evangelize because look at what Todd does. I shouldn't even try, right? Well, he's called to that. That's his office. That's where he's going, you know, you don't have to be Reinhard Bonkey and lead 70 million people to the Lord like he and his network have to not be used by the Lord, right? He has done an amazing work, and now he's got an apostolic son that he's passed it on to, and it's amazing to see what's happening. But if you say, I can never share the love of the Father because I can't do it like Reinhard Bonkey. You're going to miss a whole bunch of people. I think Duncan was sharing that story with the, uh, the starfish. You know what I mean? The, the, when you throw that one starfish back, when there's a sea of them, that matters to that one starfish. Right? You can't save them all, but you can be part of the journey in their lives. Ooh, What we want to talk about, really, is the second word that Paul uses, which is the charismata gifts. Those are the gifts that are available to everybody. Once you know Jesus and you invite the Holy Spirit in, you have this ability to operate with him operating through you. And it doesn't mean that you all operate at the same level. There are different propensities that you may operate on, but they're available to all of us. So if you look in uh, Romans 12, 6-8, 1 Corinthians 12, 8-10, it goes through the lists that are there. Paul in Romans talks about prophecy and serving and teaching and exhortation, giving, and leadership, and mercy. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 31, it goes through the other ones with words of wisdom, and words of knowledge, and faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretations of tongues. And it goes through all of them. You know, and it's the, the famous hand chapter. Can we all be feet? Can we all be hands? Can we all be eyes? No. How would that work? If you were all feet, One, it would be a very sneaky place. And you wouldn't see where you're going, right? It needs to come together. But if the foot says, man, I can't believe I'm not an eye, and then you have this comparison battle, that's where you start to struggle in the family. When you start to see the gifting on someone else's life, and instead of calling them up, you covet what they have. We want to be at a place that we see the anointing in their lives, but we want to see the anointing in our lives of what the Lord wants to use us for. We're not all called to be feet, we're not all called to be eyes. But we can use all of those gifts in different propensities. Does that make sense? And so I love how it ends here uh, in in verse 30 and 31. Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Then it says in verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. So he's going through all these gifts and says, I want to show you a higher way. And then chapter 13 is the love chapter. If you've been to weddings, especially in the South, that are biblical-based, that chapter is probably read. You probably have heard it there. And, you're, and, it's, and so he says, I want to show you a more excellent way. And then he goes into this whole chapter about love. And then 1 Corinthians 14.1 says this. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly the spiritual gifts, that especially that you may prophesy. So he gives you all of these amazing gifts that we get to use because once we're one with Jesus, but if you have them, you need to use them out of love and through love. If you're going to lay hands on people and see people healed and you're doing it to build your own ego and ministry rather than loving them and showing the love of the Father, that's not what the gifts are for. right? If you use a word of knowledge and prophecy to cast out something in what you see in people's lives, it's like, "You dirty sinner, and you see that and release it, that's not through love. Right? You're learning to operate the gifts primarily out of love. And the Father wants you to always have your capacity for love to outgrow your capacity in gifting. The more that you love, the more that you're able to operate in gifting. And the more the Lord is going to trust you with greater revelation and greater things and an understanding of how to use that. Right? There are times that you may get a word. And I remember, you know, early on, you know, you'd hear these words about, um, you may get some, some word over someone that looks quite... Negative, and you wouldn't necessarily go up to Murray and say, "Murray, I, you've been driving your car recently?" Because I see a big fiery ball of crash, and you know, and you're like, "That's not really how you comfort, encourage, and edify someone, right?" Hey, Murray, you know what? I just want to pray safety for you. I just believe that the Lord is going to take you to this next season, right? There are things that you may have a revelation. You understand how to do it, and out of love, as opposed to condemning, right? And in that, you know, we want to operate in that because it really gives the Lord the glory as you start to operate more in your giftings, when you start to partner with him and heal people, he gets glory because he and the people around you know that you can't do it. Even a 5% healing is not you. Unless you're a medicine doctor that you use your knowledge and training to use it, then it could be all you. But there are those times when it's supernatural that you're not using the gift of medicine to heal people, right? I like it that Paul Waring said, Paul, Paul Waring, Paul Man Warring says healing, Dr. Medicine, is not a second-class healing, right? The Lord can use medicine. The Lord can use the supernatural. I have ibuprofen at my house, but I like to pray first. If the Lord chooses not to remove the headache, I choose to open the ibuprofen, (laughs) right? You can use both because he invented it all, right? Just so good. I want to show you a more excellent way. I want to release that, and then it goes in. This is just awesome. Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. How many of you have received a really powerful word at some point in your life that really touched you deeply, right? I remember early on in, if you know to my testimony, I'm a hard-charging trial attorney that has an MBA. And the last place I ever thought I'd be was on the stage in a charismatic renewal rival church. So if you know my story, I started over here, right? And so all these new gifts, I didn't know Jesus still operated today. That he could still heal people and all that. And so early, early, early days, maybe 10 years ago, 9 years ago. It had to be 9 years ago because 10 years is coming up, right? We went to a Bible study, and they were going to teach us how to prophesy. My wife was very Prophetic. And in my unhealed heart that hadn't met the Father's love yet, she'd get a word, and all of a sudden she'd go up on stage, and she'd release this amazing word, and and I'm like, oh, here she goes again. Showing off. I hear from the Lord. No one else does. She never said that. That was my unhealed heart, you know, and my response to her, you know, giving a word and, you know, being the center of attention and all that. And anyway, so we're here at this Ignite group, small group, and uh, they're teaching us how to prophesy and prophesy. Everyone can prophesy. I'm like, oh, cool, because it says it in Scripture. I can do it. Let's do this. And they teach us how to comfort and encourage and edify. The word needs to do that. I'm like, okay, I can can work with that. All right, Lord, there's a lot of really amazing people in the room right now. I've never prophesied over anybody. Can you please give me a good word? Because I want to show them how anointed and how special and how amazing I am. And it's not all about my wife's prophetic gifting. I can prophesy too and all those other people. And I was still working on some heart issues, right? And I'm like, okay, Lord, what you got for me? Coconut. I know we hear in part, but is there more? Coconut? They're going to think I'm an idiot. Okay. Comfort, encourage, and edify. Comfort, encourage, and edify. Okay, wait. Hard exterior, right? But an inside that is filled with milk and substance and food and nourishment. And I'm like... Oh, yeah, I can work with that. That's a good word. Let's roll with that. And so I don't know how they set it up, but the word that the Lord gave us was for ourselves. And at that time, I was a hard-charging trial attorney that had a hard exterior, but on the inside, I wanted to feed my family. I wanted to bring milk and substance and all that stuff. And I'm like, well, that's a good word. Yeah, I can prophesy. But... Like any of the gifts, you need to take a season to learn and to grow and to take classes, whether that's a school or revival or Ignite groups or whatever. Read books because anything like, you know, if all of a sudden I say, I want to bench 315 pounds and I don't go to the gym, I'm probably not going to move very far along in that continuum. If you want to operate in higher levels of prophetic, higher levels of healing, higher levels, you need to learn and grow. And in that, we read books, we take time seeking the Lord, and then we grow, Right? So I, I signed up for like everything that Catch the Fire had because I was like, this is so cool. And I pushed myself. I signed up for the prophetic blessing team, the guy that got coconut his first word. I was nervous, but I grew, right? And so this is years ago. We, uh, we were in Canada, um, and we have this retreat with the Catch the Fire team from all over the world. And I ended up prophesying over this young pastor couple. And I, the Lord used me, and it really ministered deep in their hearts And they thought I was some prophetic giant, but I wasn't. But the Lord is using me in my weakness. And so now we finish, we do the conference, and we go to their church, which is uh, like a largely younger crowd that loves the prophetic. Duncan was speaking. We were there, and they stand up and say, oh, Duncan's sharing. But they brought amazing people from the team. In fact, if you want a prophetic word, see JT after the event. Coconut. We're going to have a fruit salad at the end of the time and uh, I may get stoned. Okay. So anyway, this line forms like, like, you know, you would if you were some super apostle or prophet, you know, and they're there. And I'm like, Lord, uh, I need a lot of you right now. Please show up. Please, please, please. And so word after word after word after word after word. The Lord used me. And I found out a year later there was a young lady there that was at this journey of crossroads of trying to decide whether or not she should leave her full-time secular job and go into full-time ministry. She would have been offered a position to be John and Carol's personal assistant. And whatever word I gave, probably two directional, sorry. But, you know, in that time, she, that affirmed that she was supposed to leave her job and go work for the ministry. And she told me a year later that that word really touched her and it's been one of the best years of her life, was working in that ministry and working with John and Carol. Yeah, come, on. come on, that was amazing. Now, here's the reality. I didn't prophesy like Sean Boltz. I didn't pull her phone number or her address I did some comforting, encouraging word, but the Lord used me mightily in that way. So if I think that I can't share the love of the Father through prophecy, if I can't do it like David Wagner or Sean Boltz or whoever, then I'm not going to be able to be used by the Lord. Now, I may not operate like Sean, and that's okay, because I'm not called at this point to be the office of prophet. Hopefully, maybe one day. We'll see. Right? Keep pressing in. Maybe we'll get a whole... Anyway. So in this, there's a level of hunger for wanting more of Jesus once you recognize the gift, the calling, the talent, the desire in your heart. Murray was fortunate enough when uh, Sean was in uh, Toronto a year or so ago. They got some private time, and Sean prayed a prayer over them that they would be hungry for the more like he was hungry for the more. Something along that line. And you're like, for those of you that have seen Sean Bolt's prophesy... It's pretty wild. I was out in Azusa two years ago at Azusa now in front of 70,000 people, and he was prophesying like levels of details in a group of 70,000 people that the other prophets are like, oh! you know, and you see Chris Valentin be like, what just happened, right? You're like, it was crazy, right? And here is Sean that anyone in the room that knows it, that likes the prophetic, be like, I'd like to operate at his level. And here's what Sean's saying, I want more. I want to release a hunger in you to have more because there's always more. You see, I've got friends that are using the prophetic to break up sex trafficking rings. They get a word of knowledge about an address to go at this time in this place. And he's using the prophetic to partner with the FBI, DEA, whoever, to change lives in a very, very profound way. But they didn't start there. Sean didn't start prophesying in front of 70,000 people and pulling names and addresses, zip codes. He took a season where he was trying to get numbers And he got it wrong every single time in private and quasi-public until he was at one big meeting and he starts to call out numbers. And this guy's like, whoa, stop. That's my private bank details. My wife doesn't even know that. Not in an ungodly way, but just had a private bank. Please stop reading that number out loud because that's where I keep my money. So Sean had practiced. He sought the Lord. He's operating at this level, but he always wants to operate at this level. Because until we meet Jesus in eternity, there's always more. Right? There's always more, even when you're operating at that. And it's being faithful in the season where you are, right? Many of you would probably agree that Bill Gates is a worldwide, uh, world class philanthropist, right? Was he called to that 30 years ago? Probably. But he wouldn't become a world class, multi billion dollar philanthropist had he not taken the season of being a world-class software engineer. He designed software in that season that changed the world, that made him the wealthiest person in the world, that then allowed him to be the world-class philanthropist that he is. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, as of the end of 2016, had given away $41 billion. It's the most well-funded private foundation, I think, in our time, at least probably right now. The reality is I think sometimes we look at a Bill Gates, the billionaire, and say, I want to be a billionaire so I can give away lots of money and change lives and do all this stuff. But sometimes we forget about the journey of the 30 years that allowed Bill Gates to be the billionaire. We look like at the iceberg of people that are the top 10%, but we don't see the 90% that's under we see Sean Boltz prophesying in front of 70,000 people and say, I want to prophesy like Sean Boltz. I want to be that. I want to compare. And I can't. You either go, or you get a little bit unsettled because you feel like you can't be used. But the reality is you can be used. The Lord used me, coconut boy, to connect with a woman that was about to change a major career decision. Now, I'm pretty sure John and Carol know more than one prophetic person. And in that journey... They're around people all the time. The Lord could have sent anybody that he wanted to minister to that woman in the network that John and Carol operate in. But the Lord chose to use little old trial attorney JT. Right? And I think that, that, I like my fan out there, thank you. It's Jesus' fan, but you know what I mean? You get excited when you see people being used. You don't have to be someone that's got the microphone on the stage to be used by God mightily. And I think that's where we run into troubles is when we start comparing ourselves, right? We're a room full of Bill Ga- future Bill Gates. In the kingdom, in the natural, it's there, Right? But the reality is, are we being faithful in the season that we're in with the talents, gifts, skills that we have now to allow us to operate in the season that we're called to in the future? We need to operate contently going after what we have here to end up over here. There would have been no encounter at that retreat had I not gone through the season of going after the prophetic here. And understanding that I needed to take a journey and take the class and read the books. So as you think about the word, as you think about where you are, as you look at others, as you're comparing yourself to others, are you seeking after someone else's or are you cultivating your own? If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. This is the parable of the talents. Verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to one, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more talents. So also he who had two talents made two more talents. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more. Master, you delivered me five talents. Here, I made you five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over the little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had been given two talents came forward. Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master said to him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received what was with my money with interest. So take the talent and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And we will live in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has taken, what he has will be taken away. And cast this worthless servant out into the outer darkness in the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, I used to think that was such a tough verse. The brother that got five talents got five more. The guy that had one, you took it away. You're like, wow. But you need to start to understand in context what a talent was to put it in perspective where we start to look through the scripture. It's a weight measure, it's a dry weight of measure It was often used for gold or silver. And uh, many commentaries believe it was basically the weight of a person. And somewhere between uh, 20 kilograms to 40 kilograms, around an average of 75 pounds. So if you looked at that in a, as a value in today's value, one talent of gold in today's dollars would be worth somewhere between $864,000 to $3 million to 3000000 dollars so the talent that was given to five got somewhere between 4.3 and 15 million dollars of today's equivalent. Can you imagine someone of that kind of wealth giving you 15 million dollars and say, "I entrust you with this. I'm going on a journey. Please steward that money well." And then that same person goes to the two talent person and says, "Here's 1.7 to 5 million dollars." Steward that. And the same for the one talent. And then when he comes back, he sees the return on investment. And he's like, wow, you've been great with little. Now let me give you much. $15 million was little. $5 million was little. Now I want to give you much. And so you start to put it in the context why he's like, yeah, interest on $15 million is a lot of money. You should have put it in the bank. But sometimes we walk into those situations where the talent, the resources, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to do with it, so we hide it. And we don't want to be hiding those talents that the Lord has given us, right? The master was looking for stewardship, not return on investment. The master didn't go to the two-talent person and say, why did you not grow five talents like he did? What's wrong with you? I gave you money. Why didn't you get five talents? No, he was, he was honoring the servant for using the talents that they were given at that time. The five grew five. The two grew two. What he was angry with is the person that didn't use the talent appropriately and hid it. He buried it where he could at least got return on investment. And I think sometimes I know in my life there are those times when all of a sudden I feel like I'm a one-talent kind of person. I don't even know what to do with this, and I kind of bury it, and I don't use it for the kingdom or otherwise. I think there's other times that I'm a two-talent person. I may be operating pretty good, but I'm looking at that five-talent and be like, man, if I had that, it would be a whole different place. But the Lord is looking at you and saying, hey, son, I gave you two. Can you be faithful with that? Can you use the skills, the anointing, the callings, the desire in your life where you are right now so that I can foster this in you to allow you to be a future Bill Gates in the kingdom? For me and for those of you that know a little bit of my story, I have a secret desire to be a worship leader. But I can't sing. And so I've been on this journey because I heard about a football player once that got healed and all of a sudden was miraculously could sing. And I'm like, I'm going to claim that testimony. Sometimes it's serious. Sometimes it's a bit of a joke. And uh, several years ago I was... This is when I was still practicing law, and we have those dictation re- machines where you dictate memos, and because I talk faster than I type, and that's a big surprise. And so, I'm listening to, to Amber Brooks and David Valier song, and I'm listening. To, I'm listening to myself in the car, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I am healed. I am healed. Jesus did a miracle. There was the Red Sea. There was this, and then there was JT's voice. Yes." So I grab my machine and I I go for it. I rip into it because I know that I'm healed. And then I rewind and then I push play. It was like two cats fighting in a trash can. It was the most gosh awful sound you've ever heard in your life. I was not healed. There was something going on with the car and something else, and I just had the perception that I was healed. But I clearly was not healed. It was awful. And uh, Amber's a good friend of my wife and mine, and she'll come over from time to time. And during the season, you know, I'd, I'd be making a joyful noise, walking through the house, making a joyful noise. And she'd, from the other room, not healed yet. <laughs> not healed yet. Oh, you're definitely not healed yet. And so there's just kind of been this this fun kind of journey and jokes. And, and uh, so... We're at the, uh, the 20-year anniversary of Catch the Fire, and uh, there's about 3,000 people in the audience, and I don't know how many are watching on God TV. And Anyway, Carol or not gets properly undone in the Holy Spirit. So much, they've been carrying and stewarding the revival for 20 years, and John's like, I don't think I've ever seen her like that. And so Duncan's like, JT, go up on stage, make sure she doesn't fall off the stage. I'm like, okay. And it's a bit higher, so you, know, you don't want to be the guy that drops... The lead pastor, right? Founder, off, and you're like, ah, okay. And so for a while, I'm like, and and I just couldn't handle it. I said, Lord, if she's gonna fall off the stage, will you just let me know in the spirit because I can't handle this stress? And I just sit there waiting. And at the end of her message, it's like a spontaneous time of worship. And the live mic'd worship leader comes and sits right next to me. And we start worshiping and singing live on God TV. And I can't sing. And I knew at that point I had three choices one, just stand there like a stoic guy, two, sing live, mic'd to God TV in front of 3,000 people and watched the nightmare and the guy in the sound booth going, I can't fix it! I can't fix it! What the heck is wrong? It's so bad! (laughs) He'd have nightmares for decades. I thought I was good at this. But then I had option three. And I sang my heart out and didn't make a sound. I milly vanillied the heck out of that worship set. And no one was the wiser. And I'm helping my friends at the end of the conference. We're carrying off uh, equipment and, you know, going to the cars and load up all this stuff. And one of the guys comes up. He's like, dude, thank you so much for your worship. The sets are amazing. I'm like, my pleasure. Glad to serve. We were at a youth conference and the helsers are there and it's Kathy and I, we're emceeing and we come up and after we emcee it like breaks out into more worship and now I'm worshiping with the helsers. I'm just not making any noise. So the Lord is using me to lead worship all around the world. I'm just not making noise. So in a some way I am a worship leader. The Lord may give you an answer to your prayer, not the way you thought it was going to be answered. And then we were at a conference in Virginia Beach a couple years ago, and Gordon Robertson from the 700 Club, he was one of the speakers there. And, and I do some uh, sort of a similar joke-type situation here. And, and basically I said, until I'm healed, why don't you buy their worship album? Right? It was kind of a joke. And Anyway, so then Gordon comes up, and he gets Demetrius Stalling, who's uh, really a, a prophetic worship f- person, to prophetically sing over me in front of everyone at the conference. I'm like, Gordon, that was nice. Thank you. And he says, and you too, JT, will sing and prophesy. I'm like, say what? Gordon, we, we used to be friends, but um, what? And so the people that are just releasing the album that you just introduced by saying you can't sing, what I want you to do is prophetically sing over them in front of a live conference audience. I can't fake that. And my friends on the front row that were comforting and encouraging me were like, the mic way down because the further away the microphone the less that'll be amplified so I come up with some kind of like hip-hop rap voice something it wasn't terrible but we're definitely not winning any awards right and so the reality is I want to be a worship leader but until the Lord supernaturally heals my voice I'm not going to be worship leading in the way that I thought I was But I can still worship with my heart. I can still worship with my actions. I can still be a part of honoring him in everything that he is in my life, right? But the reality is because I can't sing like Aaron or Raph or Amber or anybody else that leads, I can't sing like them. It doesn't mean that I can't be used by the Lord in that sphere. Because the reality is Catch the Fire Music, we're launching our label, Catch the Fire Music. We're going to be launching that. We're going to be working on recording some stuff in September with the Catch the Fire team from all over the world, right? And I'm the general counsel for Catch the Fire Music. So I may not be on the front row uh, up here singing on the album, but I can help with the contracts to make sure that our sound goes around the world, that we can impact lives all over the world, right? I may not sing on an album ever, but I can be used by the Lord to get the word out to touch lives all over the place. And if I look at Amber and Ian and Raph and Aaron and say, I can't do that, maybe the Lord is right. I can't do that at this time. But if I stay stuck and I can't do it like them, the Lord can't use me and who I am to bring that to everyone around the world, right? There needs to be a protection for the sound and all the contracts and reviewing and all of this stuff that allows it to happen. I can be a part of a worship movement without ever making a sound. And you too can be part of a movement without ever making a sound. Depending on what you're called to do. Depending on what you need to do. You know, sometimes just coming alongside of people. I've had so many teacher friends that have come up. They can't pray in the public schools, but they ask the Holy Spirit to show up every day in class. I have doctor friends that can't pray for people in hospitals, but they bring the Holy Spirit every day to the hospital. Think of every sphere of influence that you go into. You can ask the Holy Spirit to show up under your breath. You don't have to be a big, proclaim it, name it, whatever. But just say, Holy Spirit, come. Invade this place. Bless this place. Do what you do best and touch people's lives. If we could get the worship team or the keyboardist to start coming up. You know, I want to close with a couple of quotes and as we start to understand that it's about God uniquely creating you to be who you are uniquely created to be and to understand that you operate in that and that you can honor the gifting and anointing of others and learn from them but don't ungodly compare yourself with them. You want to be who you're created to be. And I think George MacDonald said it this way. I would rather be what God chose to make me than the most glorious creature that I could think of. For to have been thought about, born in God's thought, then made by God, is the dearest, grandest, and most precious thing in all thinking. Your thoughts are so small compared to God's thoughts, right? If you saw where you're going to be in 30 years, you'd probably get scared. But he wants to take you on a journey. He wants you to be faithful in this season so that you can be faithful in the next season. He wants to take you in the supernatural, in the natural, from a computer programmer to a worldwide, life changing, world shaking philanthropist in the spirit, right? There are inventions, there are things that are here that are waiting to be discovered as we start to tap into who God has created us to be. And this morning, I think it's time that we can look at the story of the talents and say, you know what, Lord? I have been very faithful in this area in my life with these five talents. And he's saying to you, well done, my faithful servant. I'm proud of you. Would you like to operate at ten talents now? Would you like to take the next step in your life where you've been operating in this area and step to the next? There's that opportunity today. Maybe some of you have been looking at the two talents and saying, man, I've been faithful with the two talents, but man, I wish I had the five We don't need to ungodly compare ourselves with others. We need to be who we are created to be. The Lord could have sent anyone to prophesy to that woman, but he sent a trial attorney from North Carolina. Or maybe there's some areas in your life where you've been the one talent. You know that there's a gifting, a calling, a skill, an ability in your life, but you've not been using it for the kingdom. For me, that was the gift of prophecy and healing. I didn't know it existed. I wasn't using it. So why don't we stand as the Lord starts to speak to you about where we are today. Is there an opportunity this morning to leave ungodly comparison at the door and just honor the anointing in other people's lives? There's the ability to go deeper with the level of talents that we've been giving. When we've been operating under five, the Lord says, all right, my good and faithful servant, let's go to ten. As the Lord starts to speak to you, if we could have the ministry team start to come up front, we just want to be able to stand with you wherever you are in the journey, to pray with you, to encourage you, and believe that the world will be set on fire. Catherine, St. Catherine says it this way, be who God meant you to be and you will set the world on fire. Let us all be who God created us to be so we can set the world on fire. So as the Lord starts to speak to you, we want to make a way for you to come down. Whether that's an increased anointing to go for them, the current season to go into the next season with higher level of skill, talents, anointings. Or maybe you've been comparing yourself like I had been for so long. I can't do it like they, why even try? But today's the day you can leave that comparison and say, you know what, God uniquely created me to be me and he can use me to lead worship like JT all over the world without making a sound. I feel like the Lord has given us an opportunity to stoke our fires for our passions, our dreams, our desires, to fan those flames so that we can set the world on fire, so we can be equipped and ready during this season so that we can be everything that God created us to be for the next season.